0: Hello listeners of the world um, I am told that the boys didn't record an opening But today they are discussing the movie Patriot Games They will be talking with Jesse Hawken of the Junk Filter Podcast This is 30 years later
1: This is 30 years, yes,
0: this is 30 <laughs> years later This is indeed 30 years later
1: Than you've ever done before, little brother.
2: Target
0: leaving
2: the palace now. From the producer of the hunt for Red October.
1: Get down! Based on the best-selling novel. Comes the summer's most explosive motion picture. Hoodie.
0: So you just waited on in like John Wayne.
1: Couldn't just stand there and watch him shoot those people. It was rage. Pure rage. A reluctant soldier. They were moving in- Welcome to 30 Years Later. I'm your host, Ricky Camilleri. Uh, say hello to your co-host, Chris Chaffin. Chris Chaffin, say hello to um, our audience of tens. <laughs> who, it's, who, it's, I would say, in the upper tens. Upper tens, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And uh, uh, today we're joined by... Um, Someone of a far superior podcast than us, Uh, Jesse Hawken of Junk Filter Pod. Jesse, thanks so much for being here.
2: Thank you for having me. I've been on your show before, and uh, don't sell yourself short, guys. This is a good show. (laughs) Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you you very much. Um, You you have been on. You are a returning guest. You're one of our few returning guests. Um, Not because we don't invite that many of them back, just because it hasn't (laughs) happened. So don't get cocky. Um, But... Today we're talking about, I have to be honest, a movie that um, I found oh, um, particularly boring, but uh, <laughs> it's just especially not my bag, but it's Patriot Games starring Harrison Ford, directed by Philip Noyce and uh, based on the Tom Clancy novel. It came out June 5th, 1992. Um, Samuel L. Jackson is in it. Sean Bean is in it. And Archer is in it. Uh, James Earl Jones, Richard Harris, a young Birch. Thora Birch—that yeah. is correct. Um, my relationship uh, with this movie is that I remember my dad liking it, and I sure. remember yes,
0: good. I,
1: yes. I remember my dad reading all of the Tom Clancy books when I was growing up, and what I now know as an adult was that he was only reading those books because at some point my mother had said to him look, your son needs to do his homework so you can't have the TV on. You need to be doing something in front of him that looks like you're doing homework too. And so he started reading books, and he would read the Tom Clancy books. Because as soon as I left the house, he never read a fucking book again. And I would always, I would always buy him books as gifts because I thought he really liked reading, and he never fucking touched (laughs) them. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Yeah, it was very obvious in retrospect that he was only reading, which is a very sweet thing. He was only reading books to make sure that I uh, was doing my homework at the kitchen table. While he read, and those are those are the memories of uh, that I have of these movies. What do you What do you guys got in terms of memories on Clancy and Patriot Games?
0: I want Jesse. I would love to hear from you, but I just want to jump in at the top and say how truly baffled I am that Ricky has this extreme negative reaction to this movie. I mean, the fact that you could like have a, a podcast where you're talking about '90s movies and this version of the 1990s is not what interests you is like just truly insane to me this is what I this is the aesthetic and these are the memories and the world that I'm trying to capture every single time I press play on a, a movie for this show and um so I'm just like like bold. I Ricky you could knock me over with a feather
1: well Jesse you go ahead I'll, I'll respond to Chris <laughs> in, in due time in due time
2: Patriot games is a movie that I didn't give a shit about in 1992. Like I went to, you know, all sorts of summer movies and, you know, unforgiven came along a couple of months after this. I was totally down for that. Raced off to see it immediately, but Patriot games, uh, seemed a little, um, paramount made all these movies in the mid nineties that were like the movie equivalent of books that you would get at Hudson news on your way to catch a plane. Yes. You know, uh, uh, you know, sort of like uh, literary adaptations, but what they would do is that they didn't really have a lot of respect for the actual literary property. They would, you know, they bought Patriot games to make a movie out of it because of the big success that Paramount had with another studio picture based on the kind of book that you'd read on, on an airplane, the hunt for red October, which was a giant hit. Uh, and we can get into the, the casting controversies that uh, oh, yeah. came along with That's Patriot games, great, great but, stuff. but, um, this movie just held no interest to me. It seemed like a movie for dads about, you know, cons- with a sort of a conservative streak. It was also a sort of anti-IRA uh, movie from the looks of it. So I just didn't, as an Irish wow. person, I didn't really <laughs> want to watch it. And it just looked like um, glossy, uh, mindless uh, summer blockbusters at an age where I wasn't at all interested in those. I was, uh, you know, combing the depths of uh, RT films and things. So something like Patriot Games seemed too dad- you know, too square.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so kind of. I, I
2: wound up watching it on television, like everybody else, because it became a dad core classic on cable. Yes. That's
1: kind of how yeah. I felt about the movie in the '90s, and about Harrison Ford in the '90s as well, which is that my interests in the in in regards to movies in the 90s even though i was pretty young when patriot games came out well this is what i'm going to say i was nine that,
0: i was 9 years old when patriot games came out so i was still watching movies with my dad was the primary way that i consumed movies at this sure time.
1: It, i was, was i was watching cool. like i'm sure i watched this with my dad but it just didn't keep my attention as a 9 year old like top gun mm-hmm. kept my attention goodfellas kept my attention at the time but i just mm-hmm. don't think patriot games really did it and even going back and watching it for this podcast i was like it did not keep my attention <laughs> i thought it was extremely vanilla and oh like if i'm going to if i'm going to watch a right wing movie i want to watch something that's reactionary i don't want to watch something that's like sort of flatlining the status quo <laughs> throughout and then, and not really and not doing anything surprising um, yeah. and i think and i think i never got into the Indiana Jones movies. It's kind of See, something again, that again,
0: I again, Ricky. I just really don't. I'm well, just,
1: I, I I actually have you have, a, a,
0: p- you have some kind of personal problem with Harrison Ford. You were telling me before the show.
1: I have a plan to go back and start rewatching the Indiana Jones movies because I do feel like. Did you have like an so argument
0: f- with Harrison Ford at some point in your life or like what
1: He just he just kind of like when I first started getting really into movies, he represented something that I didn't want anything to do with. Mm-hmm. And 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 so yeah, fair, I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't go I didn't grow up watching Indiana Jones cuz my dad hated those movies. He thought they were stupid. Your like dad- My dad's just not like a fantasy or science fiction or adventure. He's like he liked Full Metal. We would watch Full Metal what, Jacket. What a, sad, on what a sad
0: little life you must live, Ricky. I feel no, so sad. No, my life for him. was fucking awesome. We would watch Full Metal Jacket
1: and Goodfellas and Pulp Fiction on repeat. It was awesome. Uh, but like Indiana Jones, he would be like, "This is dumb. What is this big ball?" Like would hate that shit. Now, now I feel like I could go back and watch it and, and and probably enjoy it because it is Spielberg. And the older I get, I really like watching Steven Spielberg movies. Um, but Harrison Ford just at the time didn't do it for me. And the movie really just even, Mm -hmm. I was hoping that as someone who's a dad's age, I'm not a dad, but who's a dad's age, I would be able to get on board with this movie, but it just, Mm-hmm. Did not did not do it for me, Chris. I feel like
0: you sat down to watch it and you were just in heaven. I was loving it. I was loving it. I loved watching it. It was. It's a movie that, like I say, I I think you know I can't. Ex- but if if I'm being honest with myself, I think I've always aspired to be like a 1990 rich doctor who lives in Connecticut. Like I think my entire life I've been trying to become that person and I have not succeeded. But in my own little ways, a little bit, you know. But like this is just the world that. Is Is so interesting to me this world of like really rich you know super competent professionals who live on like a cliff somewhere in the northeast in some kind of mansion and have you know they have a grand piano in their living room and like this is like all of this is fascinating to me but that's malice and i
1: like malice
0: (laughs) (laughs) with alec baldwin
1: who, yes, uh, I-
2: was replaced by Harrison Ford as Jack Ryan. <laughs>
1: right. So the story is that like Baldwin was going to do Patriot Games, right? But the studio, apparent, like initially, it was like, look, if it, we want to do it at this date. and you're scheduled to be on Broadway. So either cancel your play or you can't do the movie. And he was like, "Um, I'm not sure what I want to do. And they're like, oh, sorry, you're out. Harrison Ford is in because Harrison Ford had been wanting to do the movie and they, they all hated Alec Baldwin, apparently. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Well, I also read that John McTiernan, uh, they wanted it to be a package deal. Like, you know, hunt for red October, huge hit. Let's get those guys back together. Let's get John McTiernan and Alec Baldwin. But McTiernan said he didn't want to do the movie because of the depiction of the Irish people and the IRA. He was opposed to it. So that uh, when he left, then that sort of changed the dynamic of of what Paramount was up to. Uh, I understand that Baldwin was indeed a headache when he was working on Hunt for Red October. Uh, Harrison Ford trumps him in terms of movie star sort of appeal. And so once Harrison Ford expressed an interest in doing this movie, uh, uh, that changed the whole equation. He was a bigger movie star, and uh, Baldwin, I guess, wasn't worth the headache.
1: Baldwin was like a, from from what I understand, once he reached like the the, the cusp of stardom, nearing the cusp of stardom, he immediately became a headache, right? Yeah, like, what was that's, that? that's the stories that I that, that I feel like I've read on uh, numerous movies about him. numerous movies that he starred from like 90, 91 to like 95. Yeah, like what was that awful movie
0: we did? The movie where he met Kim Basinger? The The Marrying Man? Man? Yes, apparently he was like a nightmare on this movie. This awful movie. Have you
1: seen that movie?
0: Uh, no. (laughs) Oh my god, Um, dude. (laughs) Was it
1: awesome? I, you kind of can't believe that it exists. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a movie where everybody is performing like they're in Greece but oh no one God. sings the movie is so like narrated like, why by are Paul? we acting like this the
0: movie's narrated by the Paul Riser character who is not really the main character and he keeps saying stuff like me oh, and right. the boys loved going out on the town <laughs> you
1: know <laughs> no but do you remember the one thing about the riser character he's like his thing is that he's a gambler in the movie and so that every time he like does a voiceover he goes the odds were 10 to 1 that he was gonna get with her that night the odds were 5 to 4 that they were gonna break up again like every time he does a voiceover he oh he does the odds and it's like so annoying
2: <laughs> was all that voiceover to sort of paper over the editing trouble with that movie <laughs> yes, I, think I
1: don't think so I think it was Neil Simon being like oh, yeah, you know yeah, elderly yeah. elderly and cute in 1990 yeah yeah
0: but supposedly, and, uh, him and Basinger would like wouldn't come to set. Like, he punched out a camera, they would be like fucking in their trailer all day and wouldn't leave, and like you know, getting in arguments with everybody. And that was on the fucking marrying man, so <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. He and I saw The Shadow, the Russell Mulcahy oh, film yeah, I with saw him. That, that was oh, that's, kind of a that's Russell Mulcahy, movie. I believe so.
1: And it's no, no. There's nothing worthwhile
2: about it's it. A, sort of a non-event, you know. It's Alec Baldwin doing his like great, you know, voice and sort of priding himself on it. But uh, it's sort of a seen it all before. Uh,
0: yeah, I'd say it's a movie for children. I would say, yeah. yeah.
1: But Mulcahy at least had the, had an eye, right? Like oh, Highlander yeah. is a beautiful movie to look at, even if it's pretty silly.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was a Mul- Mulcahy uh, completist, so I had to go see the shadow. I think hey, Penelope Ann Miller was the female lead. Uh, they they oh, tried man. to make her a movie star for several years in the nineties.
0: My mom was a big top. fan. My mom was a big fan of the Shadow from her own childhood. So we watched yeah. the the Shadow movie more than once at my house <laughs> as yeah. a kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the Mulcahy
1: movie with Dolph Lundgren that's a, that I've that I've heard is is pretty great? Have you seen that?
2: Mm. His uh, like name's sm- not ringing a bell right now.
1: Uh, lundgren's like a sniper but i've seen i've seen some clips of it and it's like okay he got a b movie budget and was like i'm gonna do whatever i want with the camera and it's like it's kind of gorgeous
2: i'm a big fan of highlander 2 the quickening uh but i prefer the actual butchered studio version to any uh, re- <laughs> recreations and rebuildings of it
1: i've actually it's haven't so seen funny. the quickening
2: it's so funny
1: oh um so I have I don't remember having seen Patriot Games or Claire and Present Danger at all growing up. The the story of this movie, well Chris, I'll let you go over the story of this movie because you know you know it much
0: better than me, I think. Well, yeah, it's interesting because a couple times Jesse you've mentioned that the movie being, you know, it's a, it, it concerns the IRA and IRA affiliated terrorists and people having problems with the depiction of Irish people or or, you know, But I think what's actually one of the really interesting things about this movie is that it walks this kind of tightrope that usually you see associated with Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union where they're very careful to say that the bad guys are not in the IRA. They are too extreme for the IRA and they are doing their own thing. And the movie is, this is one of the dynamics of the movie is like, we're watching like Sinn Féin press conferences and seeing like just backroom discussions. And then in fact, one of the first things they do is murder other IRA people. Mm -hmm. So I actually thought it was usually what you see is, you know, you just want to make the Russians, the bad guys, but the Soviet Union doesn't (laughs) exist. So you're like, Oh, it's like a, a rogue, Russian, but this movie is applying that formula to Irish people, which I think is exactly because there was actually a huge amount of support for the IRA in in America, and a lot of the money for the IRA came from America. So this movie didn't want to alienate everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought, but any, you know, the plot generally, it's like. Harrison Ford is an ex CIA he's ex CIA analyst Jack Ryan now teaching at the Naval Academy he's on vacation and he's actually good delivering a speech at the Royal Naval Academy in London uh, with his brought his family along staying in a big fast first class hotel room in London and one day while out walking around he uh sees people in balaclavas putting a giant cartoon bomb on a car <laughs> and he runs over and tackles them and shoots them and meanwhile his wife and daughter are cowering I, I in the was, corner
1: i was confused about the bomb like why wouldn't you just throw a grenade in the car or something why are you running like if you i i've always imagined if you're going to put a bomb on a car in an area that nobody could see It's so you can then leave the premise... (laughs) <laughs> and then, yeah, when the right. bomb goes off, but I guess they want the bomb to go off so that they can have like a they can just start shooting and it's chaos after the no, bomb. I think it's like, they, want, but to but kidnap, then, they so- want
0: to kidnap the person, they don't want to kill them, which they don't explain in the movie at all until like much later. There's just a couple times where one of the bad guys goes, No, we need him alive. You can't ransom a dead body. So, like, retroactively, you have to assume that's what's going on in the right. They kind
1: of say that in the climax of the movie during when they're during the, uh, the siege of the house house one of them is like we need the royal we need him alive and i was like i and i think because i wasn't paying attention too much by that point of the movie no offense to like a podcast that we're doing about the movie but i was kind of like Aren't they just trying to kill Harrison Ford now? Like, isn't shouldn't shouldn't this just be them I mean, trying exactly, to kill? Wh- yes. Why is there a why is there another plot like another hat on well, this? Like, I guess originally, Harrison Ford.
0: originally the plot of the book is that it's Prince the character is Prince Charles, and so they replaced Prince Charles with some other random made up person. So I think when it's Prince Charles, it makes a little more sense that they're like kidnapping him to do some kind of like black mirror style humiliation of him you know or ransom him or something but when it's just some faceless they're like oh it's the queen's cousin you're like who fucking cares about the queen's cousin
2: this was one of the many things that tom clancy was upset about uh about the adaptation was that they basically kept the basic uh structure of patriot games but changed all the points that clancy was trying to make this movie depicts uh the ira as being uh you know targeting the royal family and so i think clancy wanted it to be a direct thing where you know he's trying the ira are trying to kill <laughs> prince charles but right. you can't do that in a movie like a paramount yeah. pictures like they can't have like a print a prince charles somebody playing prince charles like it's just too um it's too op, it's a combination of obvious and it's also you know. Bordering into trademark violation materials, right? <laughs> the royal family might not agree to ha- to have their uh, exploits depicted that way, especially it's if Prince can...
0: Blarrels. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but especially if you consider that there was indeed an IRA attack on on the royal family in the late seventies when they blew up yeah. Lord Mountbatten. You know, yes, so yeah. so they tried to mirror it in this movie by having uh, Lord Holmes. I guess they were trying to come up with some British name. And they thought of Sherlock Holmes. And he's supposed to be the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland and a cousin of the Queen. He's played by James Fox. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is a very good point. Because for the rest of the movie, whenever they're trying to attack the royal family, they're trying to get a hostage. But at the very beginning of the movie, they're trying to blow up his car. I didn't get a sense (laughs) at the beginning that they meant to kidnap the uh, lord. I thought that they were trying to kill him.
0: Well, one of the main things in England is that you blow the doors off of cars. I don't know if you're familiar with this. This is a big thing in England. You know, you're... (laughs) Yeah, you only are supposed to blow the bloody doors off. And then, so I, you, I guess that's what they're doing. They're putting the little... Because it's, it's a tiny bomb, and you just... This is so much retconning. I'm doing so much work as a viewer, but it must be some kind of armored car that they have put a tiny bomb on to blow the doors off, and then they're going to, like, and then pull the catch guy.
1: them out, right? yeah. It yeah, does
0: not but, blow the
1: doors off. It blows the car up, though. But that's, yeah. a,
0: that's a different car. The f- first car, they blow up, and then there's the Royals' car that they're trying to, like... Okay, again, again, I think I I, I, there's a lot of uh, again. this is pointless. I shouldn't be doing any of this work. And it's boring to listen to. So, you know, well, it's not that it's boring to listen to. I think
1: this is why I tuned out of the movie pretty quickly, because it was kind of like, who, who are they going after? Why are they doing this? What are they blowing up right now? Like, why can't this
0: just be like a little? Why can't this just be a little more clear? but you see this is because this is not what is happening on the screen in this scene it is not we're not we're not supposed to be involved necessarily in the details of the attack what we're watching is the world's most capable executive and best dad yeah. i.e. every viewer of the movie every 40 plus like vice president who's watching this movie heroically defending their family, and not even their country, somebody else's country. yeah, um I mean, it is, is true. It is, yeah, it, but this it is, is tr- what we're watching. It is true how much how much Harrison
1: Ford looks and feels representative of, blue blood class and like uh, blue blood dads in America and in the nineties. This is what I love.
0: I love movies by, I I love movies that are for rich 50 year olds. Like I think it, I think they're very interesting in the messages they're trying to send to people.
1: And I think, I think one of the smartest things he does with his performance that 50 year old rich dads really relate to is that even when he's fighting well, he looks like he doesn't know how to fight, (laughs) right? Like there's like right at the beginning of the movie, when he sort of like lunges at one of the IRA guys and like tackles them, he does it in a flailing manner where it looks like he doesn't really know what he's doing. He's just throwing himself into the situation to save people. And it's going to be kind of messy, but it's not that messy. He still, he still (laughs) like takes them down with ease. It's just kind of a little more like, arms flailing out to the sides like a silly 50 year old executive yeah but, and the
2: big uh, the big thing that happens in this sequence besides the fact that jack ryan's a hero and he saves lord holmes and dr watson
0: <laughs>
2: um the bad guys are a pair of brothers um mm. sean bean mm. and then his younger brother and jack ryan shoots the younger brother dead
0: Later on, the police are talking to Jack Ryan about this incident, and they're basically going like, yeah, you fucking killed him, and he was only 17. Cool. <laughs> and there's <laughs> the one shot of Harrison Ford looking pensive, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have killed that guy, <laughs> you know? But it's like they hit the nail on the head pretty hard on that one. So
2: this IRA splinter cell led by uh, by Patrick Bergen, but his right-hand man is Sean Bean, uh, this makes it personal. Uh, beautiful uh, by the he, way
1: can we just say sean oh, bean sean bean oh yeah like incredibly beautiful in the this, movie is, 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 this
0: is fault. like his breakthrough role right was it not because i yeah before...
2: it was it was absolutely it was a big big uh showcase for him
0: yeah because yeah. before this he's mostly doing that like journeyman bbc tv actor thing where he's mm-hmm. obviously like successful and doing well but just doing you know the crumbs berries every year, you know? Right.
2: That kind of thing. Yeah. But then a couple of years later, he was the, the guy
0: in Goldeneye. Yeah. It's just three years yeah. later. Right. And then yeah. the Lord of the Rings is not too far after that.
2: Yeah. And, uh, and the other joke about Bean was that he always dies in every movie. Yes. <laughs>
0: yes. That's, he has a uh,
2: helped to uh, cement that
0: reputation. He's got a good death in this one, you know, and it, and it's a good, like, like movie monster double death where they want you to know he's really dead. Yeah.
2: That was one thing I, I really respected about uh, Frankenheimer's Ronin, that Sean Bean was in the first few minutes and then he uh, disqualifies himself from being part of the team and he leaves. And you watch the whole rest of the movie waiting for it, him to show up again in the last 10 minutes. But no, he was just a loser who got kicked off the team. That's it. <laughs> Cuz we're so used to seeing him come back and die at the end.
1: I guess I I I maybe I've already said this, but this idea that like the movie opens with him killing Sean Bean's brother and all this attention is put onto the tra- the, the 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 tragedy of that for Sean Bean, how angry he is and seeking vengeance. So really like why put all these other motivations and plot oh, threads right. into the movie to complicate it when it should just be that this guy wants to kill this other guy for killing his brother. That's, that's mm-hmm. it. That's the movie.
0: And it's so interesting. Cause Jesse, you were talking about how Tom Clancy hated this movie. Cause it was not enough like his book, but I mean, Ricky, you're totally right. And they should have changed it even more. <laughs> like this is an instance of them trying to preserve the like 20 plot threads you have to have going in a, 500 page tom clancy book but it's like it should be distilled even further down you're you're totally right Mm.
1: like they're training at the uh uh, when they're at the sort of terrorist training camp (laughs) and they're talking about the politics and the things that they're gonna do i just sat there thinking like shouldn't we be talking about how you're just gonna kill the guy that killed your brother
0: shouldn't we just
1: be talking about like what is this other stuff that we're talking about (laughs)
0: But see, actually, this is one of the things I think is so interesting about this movie is is that it does have all this extraneous stuff. It represents a a kind a version of this type of movie where they haven't figured out how to distill it down pure enough yet. And it's Mm -hmm. still got like a bunch of different plot threads and like they wanna sound smart doing references to, you know, different guerrilla groups around the world. And it, it it's kind of this like you know, over intellectual version of an action movie, which as I love, I think it's great. I mean, I like, I, I agree that a movie should likely be more focused than this, but like, I do love watching a world where like, this is what an $80 million action movie had to be like, you know? Yeah. yeah,
2: For sure. I want to talk a little bit about the politics of this movie. Just a little bit. because yes, please, of One yeah. giant elephant in the room about this movie. So the movie is always trying to make this effort to distinguish between Sinn Féin and the IRA or to distinguish between this splinter cell, which is out for, you know, revenge and killing the Royals. And, uh, supposedly, uh, you know, the, the other uh, section of the IRA, which of course disavows this stuff. And then Sinn Féin, their representative played by Richard Harris, who uh, is their spokesperson in Washington, who, uh, but the movie's trying really hard to make sure that we all don't think that the irish are a bunch of bloodthirsty people it's these extremists within right, the IRA yeah.
0: just a couple of bad apples yeah
2: but at the same time uh they are trying to sort of exploit the uh recent history with uh, the IRA's bombings in in britain uh you know their attempts on Thatcher's life their successful attempt on royal family with the mountbatten killing this movie was the first movie that was allowed to shoot at the actual CIA headquarters in Langley. So you have to ask yourself, you know, what is this movie saying about, you know, geopolitics, if it's perfectly fine for them to film at CIA headquarters?
1: This reminds me of a uh, conversation when I used to interview uh, actors, I interviewed a uh, pretty famous actor who's Tim Robbins And we were talking, (laughs) we were talking backstage and I don't know how he got on it, but he was like, you, have you ever noticed that all of the big A-list male actors have played CIA agents? And I was like, like who? And he's like, Harrison Ford, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon plays a version of one that that guy from the office is playing one these days. And those are, and he was like, basically saying that the CIA once you align yourselves with depicting them in a positive light, we'll take care of your career. Mm -hmm. We'll make sure you remain an A-list actor. And he was like, that's why I am not as famous as I should be.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would say Tim Robbins is equally as famous as John Krasinski, I think at the very least, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, I think I think if I don't think Tim Robbins is directing or like you know helming, you know a hundred and fifty to two hundred million dollar movie franchise right now, I you know he's getting yeah. like mm. small parts in HBO miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> this I mean, movie
2: it, is this movie is certainly not critical of the CIA.
1: Yeah, that's
0: what I mean. Like yeah, if you, he's basically sure. saying yeah. that
1: if you, he's the CIA. Wanna... The
0: main character is a CIA agent. You know, like yeah.
1: So that may that's a that's a a good question about like is this the beginning of Hollywood like sort of really aligning itself with the CIA as an institution after the 70s which is like sort of more paranoid thrillers about American institutions and there's still a little bit of that I think in the 90s Uh, like one of the most surprisingly subversive action movies is I think the Long Kiss Goodnight (laughs) Mm-hmm. Where, like, the entire plot of the movie is, um, like a CIA agent and a senator staging a false flag, like attempting to stage a false flag so that they can get funding for their, uh, for the for their wing of the agency. But is Patriot Games the beginning of sort of Hollywood just starting to starting to make institutional, uh, celebratory institutional movies?
2: I think to a certain extent, yes. Uh, this was when it was sort of suddenly okay for you to film at CIA headquarters. I mean, right off the bat, that tells you that this movie has been, you know, has gotten the assent from <laughs> government and and and, and Hollywood uh, working together. This movie is technically a movie from the George H. W. Bush uh, administration. Mm-hmm. It was made in June of that year. It has. A uh, big this was George. about a year or so after the Gulf War, which was supposedly a, a great moment for America. And, you know, and, high, high uh, public support that Bush supposedly had, which, of course, disintegrated by the time Clinton was elected.
1: I, 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 now that you say that this feels uh, very much like a, uh, a movie born out of the George H.W. Yeah, Bush administration, yeah. and by that, I mean it feels like it's absolutely meaningless and nothing like <laughs> flat line and nothing, a blip in history. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you can also say that born out of the George HW Bush administration means born out of the Reagan administration as well. Mm-hmm.
2: For sure. And, yeah. and uh, you know, done under the, uh, uh, you know, under the full support of Paramount Pictures. I mean, this is a, this movie, we gotta say, looks great. You know, it looks it's, great. Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's look
0: yeah, the locations are great. You know, it's got that kind of nineties thing where there's somebody, uh there's a bunch of people running in sweatshirts at six in the morning and it's all foggy everywhere. Um yeah. and the, I, I mean, the, I guess the ending was reshot, um, the ending action sequence. And that's maybe like the worst looking part of the whole movie, I would say. I mean, I, I love the the location of the Ryan's house. I, apparently, it's California, but it's being made to look like it's Maine or something. Connecticut, mm-hmm. Maryland. It's supposed to be Maryland. Maryland yeah.
2: Right, right. Maryland. Well, um, it was filmed in California.
0: Yeah, it was. It was filmed in California. Um, but it's and, just and, this beautiful and, white mansion, like, completely on a cliff, right next to the sea, um, which...
2: And Harrison Ford is dressed very well
0: in this movie. Like he's been
2: costumed uh, to sort of, you know, the ideal of sort of upper middle-class white America. Yeah, Thora Birch is always wearing some kind of velvet dress with like white leggings. She sort of looks like Madeline or Madeline, you know, (laughs) like this is sort of ideal uh, middle-class white people. Uh, And, and, you know, it has to be said, Jack Ryan is Irish. So he's an example of a good Irish person, an (laughs) Irish-American. as opposed to the, you know, uh, the funny sounding Northern Ireland terrorist killers <laughs> who are all played by Brits, by the way.
1: Right, because no Irishman would like wanted to be associated with <laughs> <in> the movie.
2: <laughs> a couple of the UK cops are, are Irish actors and Richard Harris, uh, right. who, who you know, I he's very good in this movie in a very small role. Um, yeah, he's doing sort of diplomatic uh,
0: Irishman. Jerry, he's playing jerry adams right basically
2: yeah he's playing a sort of like spokesman for and to you know a preview of the future of Sinn fein who by the way just uh won the local elections in northern ireland unimaginable <laughs> outcome uh at the time patriot games was made
0: and i think it's interesting like i feel like there was a focus on you know the troubles and on ireland at this particular time in history and then of course you know they were resolved? Question mark. not too long after this. Um, but an it, uneasy peace, I would describe an <laughs> uneasy peace. Yeah. Although it is one of those rare examples people don't like to talk about of like Clintonite foreign policy achieving some unimaginable positive result that people just like pretend has always existed, but in yes. fact was a going concern and a, a, a not at all resolved to the point that you could make Patriot games as a big blockbuster, a movie in America and everybody knew all about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in 1992, when a movie like Patriot games
2: was made, Jerry Adams in the popular culture was thought of as a, you know, uh, a thug in a good suit, you know, uh, like uh, a mobster, right? Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like they didn't want you to like a guy like Jerry Adams. They said that he's got blood on his hands, et cetera. But a few years later when the peace accords were finally signed in, uh, In Northern Ireland, which was led by Tony Blair and Bill Clinton, uh, Jerry Adams was suddenly a legitimate politician and a man to be respected. These are all directives that are coming to you from the sort of high towers of neoliberalism.
0: I mean, it is very interesting, though, because it's, I mean, that's what should happen when you have a piece between a rebel group and, a, you know, Mm -hmm. some kind of overseeing. It's like, of course, the rebel group is going to have been painted as like, terrorists and murderers and then you have to legitimize them in some way and because certainly lots of people have always viewed them as legitimate and that's why they have support to be yeah. doing the things that they're doing. Yeah. But it is like, I mean, Ricky, I would love to talk to you about this. Like this isn't the north do you think will you admit that Northern Ireland is a situation where like Clintonite, Blairite, neoliberalism like demonstrably made the world a better place? Um uh, I'm gonna be am re- I'm gonna be. A, I'm
1: gonna be a responsible speaker right now uh-huh. and say, uh, I do not know enough oh, about the history. I trust your opinions. A responsible
0: speaker. Interesting. Interesting.
1: Well, because I could just bullshit and be like, yeah, absolutely. You know, looking back on it, you could say a number of different things. Yeah, do it. You know, if you're really thinking about it and you're really looking at the details and like I've read the pages, I've read the I've read the memos from that period of time. And there's a lot of different opinions. But if you look at the right, opinion, you know, I don't know. I don't know fucking anything about it. Yeah. I really loved Alan Clark's Elephant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And I Uh, really loved Jez Butterworth's uh, play about the IRA a few years ago with uh, Patty Considine that was on Broadway. That was pretty incredible. it's,
0: It's so interesting to have a movie about the IRA, and it does show you how racism is at the heart of so many things, because when the terrorist group is white, the equation is totally different, I feel like. Like if this were the Taliban, they wouldn't be bothering to show you like, oh, they're actually the splinter group from there the would Taliban. Be like, they're too extreme. Would, like you in nineteen ninety
1: two, if the terrorism if the terrorism group wasn't white or Russian, there would be like no backstory yeah, or right. concern about the net, just just inner running like, with lives machine of these guns, characters. you know. Yeah. They'd be like, yeah. ah <laughs> Yeah, that would pretty much be it. It'd be like true lies.
2: Yeah. Well, here's something that I found uh, questionable about Patriot Games is there's a, there's a scene where the family is all sitting around uh, the dinner, the breakfast table or something. Uh, this is after they're back home from that, you know, weird action incident in in London. They're back in their beautiful home in Maryland. And Richard Harris is on the TV talking about, uh, you mm-hmm. know, the the attack. And you don't really hear very clearly what Harris is saying because it's uh, in, he's on the TV while the family are all talking. But he's making the sort of political arguments that the IRA made that you would hope would be heard more uh, at the time. The idea that uh, the IRA people are called terrorists, but the American revolutionaries were known as patriots, although Britain would have considered. What was happening when america was liberating itself to be terrorism of its own you know and that that, that that's shin fein's argument has always been that we're actually nationalist patriot people and not terrorists terrorists is not our right. ultimate goal it's uh, it's unfortunate that it's come to this but this is not uh, our ultimate end we want what you guys have in america and I, I and that's interesting that they included it in the movie but people are talking over that
0: dialogue and I want to be clear that, of course, I support the IRA, and I agree with, <laughs> and I actually support I most wonder, terrorist groups, and that is honestly true. <laughs> like, I
1: wonder, I wonder if they felt like they were doing the responsible thing. I mean, this is how I imagine the conversation would be: like, we have to include this; it's the responsible thing. But, good god, this is boring. Like, can we put the yeah, family talking but, over this or something? Yeah, like, yeah, come yeah. on. Like this, like there was like a shot, like it, the first cut was shown to the studio, and there was like you know. 15 seconds more of clarity of the guy talking. And some studio head was like, Oh God, like politics.
2: But this is a movie that wants to have it both ways. Like they want to make a movie about an extremely political situation, but they don't want actual political content in the movie. So the IRA, the, the ones that are doing all the terrorism, that's, those are the extremists. Those don't really represent what the IRA really wants and what Sinn Féin is hoping to achieve politically. They, Uh, move all the sort of psychotic terrorism over to these bad apples. And uh, that's a very uh, shallow way of of, uh, describing the aims of the IRA. The movie still wants you to think of them as the villains.
1: What's interesting to me is that what you're describing in in how the sort of terrorists versus the actual... Or the, the terrorists versus like what I think some would consider the actual people of the party, it was in 1992 a kind of like right-wing depiction of geopolitical affairs mm-hmm. but what you're describing now is how like i think your run-of-the-mill liberal would describe some kind of terrorist faction or would describe palestine in some way like there are yeah. good people yeah. there but they're like the terrorists they're just they're not you know they they're they they're terrorists doing they're bad stuff. you know they're yeah, doing right. bad stuff or they mm-hmm. would des- they would describe it that way i don't think they would be able to um wrap their heads around like what like it's the born nice out people. of or what political gains are, are trying and, to be made. Yeah, the, the movie nice.
2: insinuates though that, that that they're full of shit when they're saying that uh they deplore this terrorism and that you know this is very unfortunate and you have our sympathy and
0: this was the people's understanding of Sinn Fein, right? I mean and I think it was true basically. I mean this was the deal with Sinn Fein is like they for they pretended to be disassociated from the ira but of course were not disassociated from the ira at all mm-hmm. and the people in Sinn fein were actively involved in the ira but it was it's important to have both existing at the same time right it's like a one group of people pursuing like this kind of political option that seems impossible and another group of people or the same group of people aiding them by you know through this like extra you know guerrilla warfare means because they were you know being occupied by a foreign country that they wanted to leave i mean Mm -hmm. you know it's historically it doesn't work out well when people try to occupy other people's countries yeah um
2: and one other thing that i got to say about this movie in terms of the irish content of this film is uh you know not to get too far ahead of ourselves there's a scene where uh jack ryan's daughter and wife are in a car accident and the daughter. Uh, is badly injured in this accident it's also very unusual that you would see a movie that would depict the injury serious injury of a child but that's right. that's to give you an idea of how ruthless these terrorists and, are and, and it's Jack kind of the Ryan... mom's fault
0: also if we can <laughs> be like <laughs> <Come> on
2: <laughs> well, she drives into
0: a yeah one she of those, drives uh... she could have swerved but instead she goes oh she was being shot at with an uzi by sean bean i mean a stressful situation to be sure but she did drive into the things herself but the
2: thing that gets um jack ryan gets so mad that he uh you know this is personal now uh you know my daughter's had her spleen removed because of the injuries (laughs) like that's pretty grim so he confronts harris in an irish pub in dc uh and tells him when he wants more information on the terrorists and he knows that Richard Harris knows more but Richard Harris is playing dumb but then he tells him that uh I'm going to go to the media and I'm going to tell them all about my daughter and uh, you know, how you're, you guys are responsible for her, uh, injury. And of course these are Irish people, right? They're very sentimental and that's what gets Richard Harris to sort of cooperate with him is, you know, well, here you go, boy, here's a present. Here's a present for your daughter. And inside the box is the photos of the guys you want
1: that scene would have been so much better if, as Harrison Ford was pitching or you know telling him that he was going to go to the media, he started doing it in an Irish accent. He like went further into it. Like, if you don't say, if you if you don't give me information, on this woman, I'm going to go to the media, and I'm going. <laughs> and he was like, "Stop, stop! I can't. can't cut off it. all your good money. <laughs> this will this will be
2: on all the papers in Dublin and Belfast." <laughs> You
1: know? Not that, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Harris is like, oh boy, oh, oh, I'm so all right. You drive a hard bargain, young man.
0: Somebody's playing, like, oh, Danny boy, in the corner. They exactly. stop to wipe a single <laughs> tear from their eye. Uh... But
1: then when he gives him the information, and Ford goes to his, you know, boss at the CIA, and is like, look, I've got. He's like, what do you mean? He's lying to you. He's IRA. He'd be, he, of course, he's lying. They're always lying, right? Like, isn't that guy? Isn't that that guy's response?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, so you, you know, it turns out that one of the people that they're looking for is a female IRA agent. Ooh. So we should talk mm-hmm. a little bit about Polly mm-hmm. Walker in this movie.
0: Who's British, Looking right? good, looking yeah. good. Oh my God, amazing. And with it, like the world's most amazing, the character is supposed to be wearing a wig constantly yep. which is only held on with one bobby pin as my wife pointed out <laughs> there yeah. are like multiple shots of it where you cannot tell it's not her real hair and then she goes like pulls out one pin and it comes right off the top of her. well yeah i mean i think my favorite part of the movie is uh
1: and i guess i should save this for favorite parts but I'll just say it now is uh, he recognizes her by how she like throws her hair back. Yeah, <laughs> Like he, she, like he sees a woman who throws her ponytail back and then it cuts to him remembering another woman throwing her ponytail back at the Like, yeah. Okay. Dead giveaway. Dead giveaway, man.
0: (laughs) Especially because the random woman he's seeing is doing it in exactly the same way. So this is not proving that it was the same person before. He used his male gaze powers for good and not
2: evil. (laughs) (laughs) That scene was actually very confusing. I was like, is that? No, that's not the woman with the ponytail. She's not working at CIA headquarters. Oh, it's just a guy. uh, And he put two and two together by looking at chicks' ponytails. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, he was like, like, oh, a ponytail. Oh, Oh, yeah. Where have I seen that before? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know that ponytail. Mm -hmm. That's the one that I was getting horny off of a couple weeks ago before the bomb went off.
2: This is also one of those dumb movies where, you know, they have closed circuit camera footage and then, uh, you know, uh, Harrison Ford says enhance and then suddenly oh, it's yeah, like a yeah. high quality picture.
1: <laughs> I mean, I will, I will always go to bat for moments where it's like enhance or I've hacked the mainframe. They yeah. always generate a big laugh for me and like, you know, it could be bad. It could, I mean, like, uh enemy tony scott's enemy of the state is a movie that is solely bo- like made of people going enhance or i've hacked in like yeah. that's the majority <laughs> of, and it fucking rules because of it
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: um, Ricky, um should,
0: should we just do the questions do you want to do them now
1: well i'm curious what people know about tom clancy like what because i have always read him described as his his books Being sort of like right wing paranoia fantasies. Mm -hmm. And my only experience is like Patriot games. And it's Mm -hmm. not really that to me. So is it like his later material that becomes sort of more ghost written and is more as like, and and as more right wing dads or like right wingers or the right wing essentially changes, do his books and his brand change at all? Or do they stay relatively like this? Because this is really you know, it's pretty vanilla. It's compared to what we talk about as right-wing now.
0: What I think of, and Jesse, I can see you have something to say on this, is I don't think of it in that way that you're saying. I Or I, I think of it more as like a guy who wants to completely accurately describe to you the, what a hallway on a submarine is like, or like exactly which type of missile it does exactly which type of thing and why it's better than the other types of missile. And like, oh, that's okay. the appeal to this certain kind of like, rich 50 year old dad who's like at a lawyer or something is hearing like in detail the real information about various kinds of cool ass military hardware and the thing to remember is this is before youtube like now you can just fucking sit and watch these things for you know until you die like but in that this was like really one of the best ways to get your hands on this information at the time was Mm -hmm. for tom clancy to spend like six months looking at a submarine schematic
1: that would be sick if right-wingers were still like that
2: (laughs) i've never read a tom clancy novel nor do i have any immediate plans to do so (laughs) Hmm. but for me tom clancy was sort of like um he was the equivalent in the 90s of john grisham he was like the the the, the, the novelist who keeps knocking stuff out Uh, people keep reading them they keep making more of them uh, but beyond that, I had no idea. But th- I guess they were bestsellers enough and they were translatable to cinema that we got a raft of John Grisham adaptations. And then Paramount specialized in making Tom Clancy adaptations. You know, what I think is he's not so much right wing as a huge fan of authority. Yes. You know, and, yes, and, and so yes. his movies and are Com- all about I how he wonderful the in- CIA is and how dangerous the real threats are out there. It's bromides, you know, like you know the cia they have a tough job you wouldn't be able to do uh, their what they do it takes something that you just will never understand i can't explain it to you it's a, just it's a, it, they are the 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 thing that separates us from the wolves or whatever but what but clancy was the sort of um, People, very self-congratulatory writing. Like, I'm a patriot. I believe in America. I believe in CIA. I know that it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it kind of stuff, which I think a lot of dads in America also think, you know? So mm-hmm. he was like uh, constant reassurance, you know? And it was it was like the idea of these books being important uh, on a mainstream sort of, you know, uh, mass cultural level. I were don't know considered... how political they were though. They were just, okay, so you know, flattery I mean, can... of- of institutions
1: so they weren't necessarily considered right wing uh when they were when they were coming out because what you're describing to me sounds like you know it sounds like your standard approach to politics by you know liberals right now
2: yeah totally yeah and tom clancy certainly had appeal for that sort of liberal brain that wants to sort of have friends who are conservatives you know, like I've read Tom Clancy. You know, they're pretty good books or whatever. Like, so that would imply, for instance,
1: that would imply that the work is in some way right wing or is conservative. Whereas I'm mm-hmm. saying that the opinions that would be considered cons- or the the sort of work that would be considered conservative in the 90s by Tom Clancy is actually like Zero Dark Thirty now. Yeah, yeah, right. I, it's I, no, I it's, it's
0: nowhere comparison. close. Yeah.
2: And but, like, but without any criticism, zero like 30. zero zero dark thirty has sort of like pseudo criticism of, of the CIA, whereas Tom Clancy doesn't. One of the more effective scenes in Patriot Games actually is that strange scene where the attack on their the secret base in Libya is taking place, which we see from mm. the perspective of all the uh, you know CIA uh, executives, where they're watching this attack happen on uh, infrared cameras from a satellite, and we just it's a very violent sequence that we see from a remove and from a distance, which I think was sort of the American ideal, you know, we've got to get these killers, but we don't want any blood on our hands, but But... we, you know, we're going to watch this action take place. I
0: totally agree with you, Jesse, but I think that the scene is critical of it. I think it's kind of about like the horrors of drone warfare. I mean, you can see that Tom Clancy has like a distaste for this kind of thing because Mm -hmm. we keep seeing Harrison Ford, like, like the, one of the, the first things that happened is that they engage, you know, they, they shoot somebody with the machine gun and some guy is like eating an apple and he goes in the room and he goes, that's a kill. And yeah. Harrison Ford looks over at him in what we're meant to see as disgust. And then he is plainly getting more and more nervous. And I mean, I guess there's a way to read it that he's like nervous. The operation is going to go wrong. But to me, it seemed pretty clear that it was like, this is all pretty fucked up <laughs> that yeah. we're, you know, antiseptically murdering these people. And it, doesn't matter, you know, to us. Yeah. I, for
2: me, if, if I didn't, I saw it sort of that way, but I also saw it with the overall arc, which is, it's a dirty job. Somebody's got to do it. This is what modern yeah. warfare looks like. And, uh, you know, there were many uh, first person shooter video games uh, based on mm-hmm. Tom Clancy books, yeah. you know? So, uh, you know, if there was any kind of criticism about uh, American uh, tactics internationally, Maybe we can credit the director Philip Noyce for that. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. the Australian uh, action. Yeah, uh, you know, he's a good action filmmaker. The stuff that works best in Patriot Games are the suspense sequences. He's very good at making them. Mm-hmm.
1: There's some great shots in those. I mean, I thought of specifically when I was when when I was watching it was the shot where um, the the guy at the Naval Academy tries to kill Harrison Ford, yeah. and Harrison Ford shoots him and is holding him on the ground and then he realizes in the moment that he he needs to go check on his wife and there's like a close up on his face looking up and then the camera pulls back as he starts running towards the camera. And it's a great yeah. shot, right? It's yeah. great coverage that you actually don't. I mean, that's the thing that we are always kind of missing in movies that we watch now that are coming out right now is like, re- is coverage born out of really great ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Like how can I cover this scene in one or two shots versus just throwing, five cameras around and and seeing what I can cobble together and noise has to do that in this movie
2: and he has to give you the uh he establishes where that sort of gunman is in relation to where ford is on the street and where ford's car is noise is very very good at quietly creating suspense sequences by like laying out the terrain and then going through it with you yeah and uh, that's Harrison a very Ford's good scene, scene where that,
0: that reflection yeah. the guy's reflection in the car windows as he's walking down the street and then it's suddenly you, the, the street is full of so much anxiety because we see him trying to he's trying to think of where can i go hide you know where can yeah. i and it, it 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 transforms this walk into you know and again this is for the 50 year old executive like suddenly your walk to your car from work is the most exciting thing that has ever happened and it's a deadly game of cat and mouse you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you're
1: so obsessed with this this movie being just like it. a I love uh, it just this this movie being like a, a an old an old wealthy man's in yes, i love it like fantasy about like becoming I mean, a yeah. hero even yeah. when
0: it's that's what these, that's what these things exist for is they exist for old wealthy men to imagine themselves powerful and good you know i just yeah.
1: keep thinking yeah. about the if that's what harrison ford was for everybody for for people for wealthy white men in the 90s like what the movie what lies beneath meant for all of them like they were all just kind of like what if my wife was dead yeah, yeah wouldn't it be great <laughs> and haunting me yeah um so did,
2: uh oh go ahead jesse did you guys ever see um the follow-up the second one with harrison ford oh yeah clear sure. and present danger yeah, yeah. it's an improvement on this movie same director uh, same, some of the same cast. I don't remember if Ann Archer shows up again, though.
0: I believe she's in it, according to Wikipedia. It's, it's yeah. funny because that movie is better both at the action stuff and at the boring office CIA stuff. Yeah, like you would think that that movie came out first because Harrison Ford just seems like kind of like a, an analyst at the CIA, like a nobody, you know? Yeah, which is great. I love it. I love the vibe of that movie. Yeah, and and the action is bigger. It's famously got the like. Uh, bazooka to the jeep you know like amazing shot I remember yeah. seeing something about that on entertainment tonight when I was 10 years old you know like yeah the the
2: clear and present danger was nominated for uh, an Oscar for best editing because of how good that sequence is and the other strange thing about clear and present danger is that it was super violent it was about as violent as patriot games but it got a PG-13 I don't understand
1: <laughs> <laughs> You know you know what it is that I'm just realizing about these movies and about Harrison Ford is that I think that there's no irony in them, which sometimes I would really embrace and enjoy, but i it, they kind of flatline for me for that yeah. reason. Mm, yeah. Like one of the reasons that I'm willing to go back and watch Indiana Jones movies is that I get a sense of irony from 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 those movies. Uh, and this I just found it to be I found Patriot games to be kind of a flat line in terms of tone. Like, nothing adjusts or changes. It just is riding the same tone the Mm. whole time. Clear and Present Danger sounds pretty good if there's a bazooka.
0: Yeah,
2: it's a really... Well, it doesn't... I mean, this movie bears the scars of uh, interference. Like, Paramount had huge blockbusters that were heavily interfered with, like Fatal Attraction, where they redid the ending. This movie, too uh they'll whole right, they end redid the, the movie, ending that, of this movie. The, yeah. The, the that whole speedboat chase was because they got notes saying, you know, it should have a bigger ending than it does cuz there's a sort of big uh gunfight where the IRA for some reason Harrison Ford invites uh the yeah. Lord and his the, they've decided to give uh Harrison Ford a they've decided to give Jack Ryan a medal for his bravery or to night him or something. You're going to make at him Sir, Sir yeah. Jack Ryan. And they do it at his house and the IRA uh, have figured this out because they've got a mole on the inside of the Lord's uh, office. And they do this uh, fairly exciting uh, fight in a house with all the lights out. Like, But then the movie goes into a ridiculous studio imposed extra climax where they're driving around on speed boats in the water. I saw production... Footage from Patriot Games, and they're just set a soundstage in L.A. like with it in a giant oh, yeah. pool, filming that scene. And there's some really bad rear projection stuff, and it just reeks of, of them saying, "Okay, this is our big summer movie. We need one more big action scene. Get everybody back to the soundstage, and we'll film this ridiculous boat chase."
0: <laughs> I mean, it
1: That's does a, look there's like there's a shot. <laughs> there's a shot in that scene that I that I love, where Harrison Ford is standing over Sean Bean, and there's like flames on the boat behind him. I thought that shot was kind of awesome. <laughs> it was my <laughs> yeah. favorite shot of the well, movie. Well, it's over the top, for sure. <laughs> yeah. okay. I thought it was sick. I mean, I guess I guess that's my problem with page, with Patreon. It's just not over the top enough. And... Yeah. It, if i'm gonna watch an action movie I, w- I want a fucking action movie <laughs>
2: yeah like clear and present danger has a big suspense sequence involving fax machines with uh yes and, it's and henry great, Chir- great. it's great it's great it's uh, he n- milks as much uh action and suspense out of dueling faxes that you could imagine any action film like that's how you know he's a good action filmmakers so if he can make dueling fax machines seem <laughs> very exciting <laughs> But like they put some energy into the boring parts. Uh, you know, and that's something else that Clancy and John Grisham have in common is they have these sort of, you know, vaguely enticing uh plots, but then all this stuff with people sitting around talking. There's so much blabbering in Patriot games
0: of like but, and, and
2: meetings and stuff like that. It's yeah. really, really boring. <laughs> Lots of the watching first,
0: people go to meetings. Yeah. But funny. the first
1: couple of Grisham movies also had Joel Schumacher at yeah. the helm, which just meant an insane amount of sweat yes <laughs> <laughs> so they were visually interesting to look at i didn't think for the most part Patriot games was all that interesting to to, to look at sometimes it, there were some great shots because yeah. it was a 90s movie but overall it was like pretty bland
2: Handsomely mounted would be my nice way of describing it. Like, <laughs> That's very like, nice. It, like Harrison Ford walking around on his property in Maryland looked like uh, an ad for you know men. Uh, oh yeah. f- high end men's clothing in 1992. <laughs> yeah,
0: like I follow an account that um, Instagram that just posts pages from the like J Crew catalog from the early yeah. 90s. Like yeah. yes, this is that Total kind of a J thing. Crew. Yeah,
2: like people like and and I guess you know to a certain extent, certainly in the 90s. A lot of popular entertainment and culture uh, showed people how to behave. Yes. Yes. Like a show like Friends is like, this is how you're supposed to be with your friends. Uh, So, (laughs) Patriot Games is like, this is how you're, when you're a 50 year old man, you have to dress like Harrison Ford in Patriot Games.
0: You have to do anything to protect your family.
2: If I'm a dad and I would do anything to protect my family and Harrison Ford's sort of my role model. Sort of but like also, John
0: Wayne for uh, for uh, yeah, modern for people like, in the 90s for like yeah, investment bankers. There's even a scene where he like has a glass of whiskey and falls asleep at his desk. Just like yes.
1: me. Just like me. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't there something like I mean, the cowboy movie or just John Wayne in general as right-wing as he was? And those movies were there's something inherently like more fascinating about a cowboy about like, you know, a green beret or about the characters that John Wayne played versus a CIA analyst who like, kind of gets involved in an action thing, in like an action plot. uh, Ricky, I
0: I definitely disagree with you. I love that this movie is about like a minor functionary who somehow gets swept up in something bigger than himself. And I think that's one of the things that's better about uh, Clear and Present Danger is that he seems even more like that. He just seems like a regular guy going to his job, which just happens to be at the CIA. And then he gets pulled into some kind of crazy scheme in an almost Hitchcockian way, you know um i love it i love it but with
1: the irony of hitchcock like north by northwest is an extremely funny movie i guess i just always and i think i'm still this way i was always just a bigger fan in the 80s and 90s of the like big dumb action stars like give me the commando or the double impact mm-hmm. uh you know and i and, and i was on board like if i'm gonna watch an action movie i wanted to really swing yeah. For the fences yeah. in terms of stupidity. I would yeah.
0: love to see some wimpy minor people succeed. You know, that's like, it makes me very happy as a wimpy minor person. It's really exciting. Um, so uh, to
1: close out the episode, we ask uh, three questions, Jesse. You've done this before. You're familiar, yep. um, but I didn't email you them. So oh maybe you forgot. And it's a I, huge fun I on can, my part. I, I can deal episode. with
2: anything you throw at me
1: okay great so the first question is very simple it's just you know what was uh what was your favorite part of the movie
2: this time watching it uh i had to laugh at the scene where um polly walker her terrorist is in negligee and she's uh on top of the sort of nice guy ira guy who was trying to stop them from uh carrying out further reprisals. He was the good guy, and so they have to eliminate him. So she's having sex with him in what appears to be the upstairs room of this pub in Ireland. <laughs> yes, yes. And I wrote in my notes, uh, naked male clothed female. <laughs> like, I know, kind of, yes! <laughs> that fetish thing? Oh, yeah. you, you never really see uh, the naked man and the woman wearing clothes in movies. And uh, then she double taps him uh, <laughs> with a gun and then pulls her wig off and and Patrick Bergen pulls up uh, takes her for a drive away from the pub and I was like this is so funny like it's just uh, like so, so funny that they they had to make the female IRA agent a sexy babe
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but you know this would have this would have entertained me in 1992 it's like yeah I remember Polly Walker from that movie but the scene that I'm talking about is that scene <laughs> 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 So sleazy. Anyway, good for good for them.
0: Oh, it's Chris, what do you got? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things I do just in in line with what you're saying, Jesse. Like, as a this is a great movie for a silence or double tapping somebody in the head. Like, that's a, it's something I personally love to see on film, and I think this movie gives you a lot of it. You know, as a kid, I was really obsessed with that when I would play with my like GI Joes. They did a lot of you know silence or double tapping you in the head. Uh, and as I have played video games throughout my life, it's when always, always what you're shooting for is yeah. to silence or double tap somebody in the head. Great stuff. Great representation of that in this film. Um, but I mean, I think in a kind of zoomed out way, one of the things I really like about this movie, and, and it's kind of a Tom Clancy thing in general, I, th- I think. it's It conjures this world of competence where everybody is very good at what they're doing. The good guys and the bad guys. There's even a scene where it's like they've had this kind of first hint that Harrison Ford's family is in danger and there's a crew putting a security system on his house and they have a, a shot of one guy like up on a kind of veranda tossing a tight coil of wire down to somebody who like effortlessly catches it and it's like in the, in the world of Tom Clancy even the security system installation guys are the fucking coolest and best at they do so focused and so capable and i do think that's one of the big appeals of this movie in this world is it's like you just want to believe you live in a world where everybody is good at what they do and they're doing their best all the time you know Mm
2: -hmm. yeah dads and 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 there's some dads out there watching this movie who do that kind of work in it and things like that so they want to see their people represented properly exactly or they're like or
1: or they're like god i wish my it guy was like this (laughs)
0: like i need to get a fucking security system
1: fucking guy comes over here he can't put anything together i gotta call his manager be great to just have someone come over and know how to do it
0: but i mean i think for so long like this has been my this was my worldview and i think it's like diametrically opposed to a lot of other worldviews you know the 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 belief the completely irrational belief that everybody is like really sincerely trying their hardest all the time Mm -hmm. which like obviously is not the case in the world you know yeah that's why we go to the movies yeah, Ricky, what was your favorite part?
1: Uh, I think my favorite part is when um Harrison Ford and Sean Bean are in court and Sean Bean is getting off um and they're like humiliating yeah, Harrison Ford.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, but they're like humiliating Harrison Ford and they're kind of like, "How dare you? You shot his brother. You weren't supposed to be there." And it's like this sort of like remnant of of 80s movies that is like you know the courts will not protect you and they're always going to let the bad guy off and you're going to have to defense attorney yeah i think i i think it just sort of was a like a remnant of movies past or like reactionary ideas of the past that like happened to make its way into this movie but Mm. again like It's all good. It de- it doesn't really mean mean much because they find another reason to have to go after Harrison Ford rather than just the revenge plot that they've yeah. set up in that <laughs> yeah. scene. Yeah. But I really like I re I really liked that moment. There were other stuff that I liked, but I, that I I think I had already brought that up. That was that was my my big part. Um, the um, other
0: question that we ask Jesse is. Um, this what do you think the most 90s part of this movie is and I think there's a it's a fertile area
2: <laughs> hmm good question how what was the most 90s part of this movie
1: well it's a tough okay one.
2: I, I mean it. I can go
0: oh you go ahead go ahead
2: the most 90s part of this movie was another strange scene my other favorite scene in this movie where they do an attack on Patrick Bergen's house in the countryside the IRA decide that we've got to get rid of the squeaky wheel so they show up at his house to kill him. But Patrick Bergen is sitting in his living room watching a music video from the 90s by uh, this band called Clonade.
0: I was wondering who that was. It's amazing. Yeah, my the wife song thought it was called... maybe Enigma. <laughs>
2: it was this band called Clonade, and I believe briefly the singer Enya was part of that band, but she's not involved in the song that's in the movie. It's called The Theme from Harry's Game, and I just thought it was so strange that uh, the movie stopped cold for this 90s music video uh, that was playing during. And then all of a sudden it turns into this violent uh, scene where uh, Bergen has to kill all the guys who are trying to kill him. But I was like, why are we sitting here watching this Clanad music video all of a sudden? That was super 90s. Yeah,
1: and I actually think that was my favorite part of the movie, if I can backtrack. <laughs> <laughs> And it's the best. I think it's the best possible answer on what was the most '90s thing about the
0: movie. But Chris, oh, what no. do you got, Ricky? Of course, it's that Harrison Ford is action dad. That was the, such yeah. a major part of the 1990s. Was Harrison Ford being action dad? You got this movie, its sequel, uh, The Fugitive, and of Air Force One. Yes. You know, yeah. this is this is a huge part of the decade, a huge force in in the 1990s. This idea of Harrison Ford as the the dad the dad avatar.
1: Um, I once heard that Michael Haneke used to teach a class on Air Force One as propaganda. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard know, that somewhere. I, I don't know. I hard. don't know how true it is, but uh, I mean, it it rings true. It sounds about right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Sure. It, it's true. Ford was kind of a propagandist uh, movie star in the 90s, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. We just sort of don't talk about it as propaganda because, once again, it was, well, we had like a Democratic president, so we didn't consider it propaganda. Mm hmm. Or at least, it's, like you know, the the media didn't.
0: It's just what we all think. It's not propaganda.
2: Right. Even the fugitive uh is sort of respectful of law enforcement. Like the cops will be okay once they understand what's going on. They if have I could just <laughs> <to> explain <laughs> it to them, you know,
1: right? The cro- the cops won't beat the shit out of me while I'm trying to explain it to them. <laughs> um, most '90s thing. Uh, for me, um. This is kind of a cop-out, but I'm going to say like Samuel L. Jackson in a supporting role. Yeah. It's like more of like an early 90s thing because post-Pulp Fiction, he wasn't in too many supporting, he was more like co-star at that point, but he wasn't the, he didn't, really, I mean, well, did has Samuel L. Jackson ever really become the star of movies though?
2: Not really. No, I no. guess not. Like he's, I mean, gross. he's played the lead in a few movies, but not very famous movies. Not Not nearly on the level of, supporting work
1: yeah that's true like even in his marvel stuff he's never they've never been there's never been a nick fury movie right isn't that his character's name right nick fury or something yeah
0: yeah um Um, his character's interesting too because it's like he's supposed to be kind of jack ryan's boss at the naval academy but he like demonstrably is younger than (laughs) jack ryan and i mean in real life samuel l jackson is like six years younger than harrison ford i know but it was it was it was definitely like a role that didn't seem like it called for someone of his, you know, age and physicality.
2: Well, this was on the this was on the cusp of Jackson becoming a much bigger movie star. Like he's he was starting to show up in supporting roles, but like he wasn't in conversations about the Oscars until about a year or so after this movie. Um, what I found funny is that uh, Ford and Jackson in this film. If you look at Harrison Ford now. He looks like a grizzled prospector. Samuel Jackson still looks like Samuel Jackson, but there isn't a major age difference between the two.
1: I also would say that the most 90s thing about the movie, because what year, Jesse, you did an episode about Ghost World. What year was Ghost World? 2000 or 2001? 2001. Okay, so I'm cheating a little bit, but I do think Thora Birch is mainly a 90s act. She doesn't really do anything after Ghost World. Hmm. Right, she's got this. She's got American Beauty, Ghost World, and that's it. Right?
2: <clears throat> it's true. I mean, she was she wasn't really considered a child star anymore. She was by the time American Beauty came out, but she was in a bunch of uh, kids movies in the early '90s, and she's a good actress.
1: Yeah, from what I from what I see, I mean, there's there's stuff post post Ghost World. It looks like she did John Sales's Silver City. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's nothing, nothing that's, here.
2: That's a long story. She had a her father kind of sandbagged her career. He was extremely difficult. Uh, he cost her a lot of work from his behavior. He was uh, he was basically his her agent slash manager slash dad, and uh, wow, she caught co- she he wound up costing her a bunch of opportunities. She now has a new manager who's her husband. So read into that <laughs> what you will. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that sounds tragic <laughs> I know she um, so she, the... she
2: again uh, you know she is really too bad because she kind of peaked with Ghost World I mean I guess you yeah, can consider sure. American Beauty a cultural peak but as an actress I think she peaked with Ghost World I, maybe that part took a lot out of her or something because uh, I did read that she uh, was basically walking around as Enid for a couple of years after she made that movie
1: Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, one could also say that Scarlett Johansson peaked at goes World, <laughs> not financially, uh, at least. No, definitely, not, definitely not financially. Uh, the last question that we ask is, um, you know, what have we grown out of that uh, this movie is about, or does, or something that's in 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 the film? So it's like, what have we grown out of culturally? You know, uh, oftentimes that's like a you know the movies. Uh, thoughtlessly racist or sexist or something, but it could really be um, anything. So for you, Jesse, what do you think uh, we've grown out of that this movie does?
2: Well... Uh, could also
1: be aesthetics, like anything like that.
2: One thing that I wish more action movies did is the kind of stuff that Philip Noyce does so successfully in terms of staging action in a very, very clean visual language. Um, mm-hmm. That sequence where Ann Archer and Thor birch's car crashes is very very close to what it must feel like to be in a car accident and it's done so simply with the 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 shot of just them heading towards the uh split in the road and then like you know this shameless sort of scream and then the impact uh you know now uh, a sequence like that would have like double the number of shots in it yeah you would like see the car fly up in the air and flip around and yeah yeah. And there'd be like 12 cuts in that scene, but I think uh noise achieves it in about six or seven, you know, like it's uh, very, very cleanly told and very impactful. Like it, it's that sequence is very effective at what it sets out to do to, you know, to endanger these uh, you know, this mother and child on the highway, but it really does feel like they got injured in that sequence. It's uh, you know, and um, noise is just so good at that. And, it doesn't take a lot of coverage to get stuff like that across. So yeah, I feel I like that, like we... A, it, we had a much simpler way of telling action stories uh, uh, that Noyce was a very good uh, judge of in the mid-90s. And like Clear and Present Danger is sort of an improvement on the kind of kinetic uh, action sequences he was doing in Patriot Games.
1: Well, the technology, and this is sort of an obvious thing to say, but the technology at the time sort of forced that more simple way Mm. of doing it, right? You could really only have two cameras max because you're shooting on 35 millimeter film. And then you can't really, you can't, you don't really want to go into the edit bay with like, uh, like uh, so many different shots that you have to then splice together. Really only do that when you're doing like a shot of like a house exploding, right? (laughs) Five different angles. But like, it forces the director to to think about what each shot is going to communicate and how you're going to put that shot together and how it's going to line up with the previous one and, and what the emotional stakes are going to be. Whereas, you know, everybody loved ambulance. And I, and I get, I get the recent, the, the newfound love of Michael Bay, but I found myself watching that movie and just being kind of like, he doesn't even really know how to stage a scene. He's just throwing cameras in a parking lot. Like this isn't, there's nothing about this that is really directorial outside of him being bombastic. Mm -hmm. And it is nice, as kind of boring as I found Patriot Games you know, what I was referencing before with a close-up that turns into a wide that he runs into, that is staging, that is craft, that is like Mm -hmm. figuring out what your shot means to to your audience when they're going to see it. I agree. I mean, that's like really nice to see in this movie. I wish there were more action scenes, though. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, you get the sense in this film that Noyce is just waiting for the next action scene in terms of, like, the excitement <laughs> to which he yes. uh, films board meetings and stuff. But in terms of the action, like, it delivers. Like, it, it is attention-getting that uh, we mentioned before that scene where he's being tailed by that guy is very exciting. And it uh, it reminds you of the sort of the, the anxiety that you would feel if you ever uh, felt like you were being chased and stuff like that noise just a, is more simple about uh, the way that he depicts it
0: um for me i mean i've been talking about this the whole time but what have we grown out of i mean it's this storied world of early 1990s wealth and confidence that uh has completely vanished from the world and i you know i i I know it didn't maybe didn't exist in the first place, but as a child, it was very interesting to me to to look at things like this and, and imagine myself being a part of this world. These like smart people who are dedicating themselves to making the world a better place, you know? Yeah. Um, and there is a sort of like like you keep saying, Ricky, there's the lack of irony in this movie. There's an uncriticalness to it and just a straight ahead presenting of like. The CIA trying to be the good, you know, just the good, the plain good guys. Like even the sequel to the movie complicates that where the the CIA are also the bad guys. But in this movie, it's just like, these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. And everybody's, you know, trying to beat the other guy. I don't know. It, it, it's fantastic. And it's very, it's definitely we- gone. It's definitely gone. Can we talk about the end of the movie? The last scene of oh, the yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. Where, <laughs> so where which
1: which is so fucking weird. And like, who gives a fuck? Why is this in the movie? Like it was It's like, like a
2: deleted scene that they decided to stick into the movie. Do you even remember?
0: It's a reference to her saying she's pregnant, which had happened so much earlier in the movie. I had completely forgotten it. It doesn't add to the stakes like ever. You know, yeah.
1: I will say everybody is is good in the scene. Like it's everyone's cute. doing cute everyone's doing something games. sort of nuanced and cute and like Sora Birch is great in the scene, but at the same time it like what makes it even weirder is that they're going, is it a boy? Is it a girl? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? What is it? What is it? And then Ann Archer smiles and then it cuts to the credits as if like, what am I supposed to be like,
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll never know. Like, I don't give a shit. I can't believe I have to wait till the sequel to find out if it's a boy or a girl. <laughs>
2: that scene reeks of uh, notes that they got from preview screenings. So it's like, you mentioned that she's going to have a baby in the first 40 minutes of the movie. What <laughs> happened to the baby? We need a scene at the end. You Check know, that moms, yeah, moms right. are being dragged to these movies along with the dads. The, this is a movie for dads, but moms have to watch this movie too. Let's give them a little something <laughs> at the end.
1: I love the idea that like they, they're looking at all the note cards from the preview
0: screen and, <laughs>
1: like every one of them from a
0: woman. <laughs> yeah, just, right. what, happened what happened to the baby, the baby? what happened, what to, the happened the baby? to the
1: baby <laughs> I, what, and
2: my only question was it a boy or a girl and then the is like that gives me
1: an idea let's film
0: lots of people let's asking if it's a boy or a girl the baby wait they're asking <laughs> what
1: <laughs> like, what if it was done out of like animosity like some like they were like there's like is it a there's all these note cards that are like is it a boy or a girl is it a boy or a girl Fuck them. We'll do a cliffhanger. Yeah.
2: <laughs> It'd be funny if, uh, I, I mean, I, I would have to watch Clear and Present Danger to find out if they ever answer the question. I wouldn't be surprised bet, if they don't. <laughs> I bet it,
0: No, I bet it's the fucking first shot of the movie. It's like a little, like a blue room with a little baby in a blue outfit, you yeah. know? Yeah, or it's like,
1: know, it's a doctor holding the baby and being like, it's a boy! <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> like Jack Ryan Jr come to the dinner table
1: <laughs> Have you seen my son? Where is our son? <laughs> he's got a little these
0: he's holding the gun and he shoots the terrorist at the end Um yeah guys uh, you know, uh right. I think I
1: think that's it. I think we did it. Jesse uh thank you so much for uh for joining us and uh being on the show again. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Wonderful to yeah. be here. Thank you so much. And thank much. you for watching uh, for watching Patriot Games. How many yeah. times have you seen it?
2: Who, me? Uh, maybe yeah. this was my second time. I watched it on- Really? I watched <laughs> it on cable in the 90s, and then I watched it again for you guys. Oh, my God.
1: Wow. Chris, did you just yell really in the microphone and then hear yourself <laughs> and go, oh, my God?
0: No, not at all. No, I meant it oh, sincerely 100%. that's what it looked no. like. No,
1: no, I, look,
0: look, I have my look, monitor turned on.